0: Good morning, Um, you know, certain uh, structures or buildings that we see seem so solid and strong like they are permanent. Uh, A couple uh, months ago, I saw a video online that showed uh, a large, I think it was a, a dormitory building, it might have been a different kind of building, at Illinois State University, gone there from here, Jeff Bejama went to Illinois State, I know that. Uh, But it was this huge building, and it showed what happened when they purposefully took it down. And just this large structure that so many people, thousands of people had lived in or worked in or walked through for decades and decades, just was taken down just so rapidly. Uh, Something powerful. Have you ever seen a house you lived in destroyed? Anybody? See one? Okay, a couple of us. I, I got to watch the house I lived in from age 3 to age 12 uh, taken down. What a surreal experience. Um, it really was not a very impressive house. But, you know, when it's where you live, it, 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 you just take it for granted. And you tend to almost think of it as something permanent. But a lot of things that we think of as permanent are anything but in fact, almost everything we think of as permanent is not. The things that seem so solid. Karl Marx, you ever heard of him? Yeah. He had a line. It was a great line. Communist Manifesto. He said, all that is solid melts in the air. That's, that's really a pretty good phrase to think about in an awful lot of things in life. Uh, Jesus uh, one day was in Jerusalem. It was that ultimate week. He was hanging out with some of his disciples. And they were standing near a building that they were very impressed by. They thought there was nothing like it. It was impressive. It was big. It was heavy. It was solid. And um, honestly, I don't think they could ever imagine it being taken down or disappearing. Uh, Mark chapter uh, 14, I believe it is. starts like this. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. They were just wowed by it. Jesus, what do you think of this? Like he hadn't seen it before. He'd seen it lots of times. They'd all been there a couple days before, but maybe they just honestly were freshly struck by the solidity and the power and the girth and the strength of that structure. Jesus look what massive stones what magnificent buildings and this is what Jesus said in reply do you see all these great buildings not one stone here will be left on another every one will be thrown down just later what Jesus said is exactly what happened that temple was destroyed Jerusalem was sacked by the romans when they came in What was so solid melted into air. What seemed so permanent was, in fact, totally temporary. Psalm 103 talks about human life. Um, For Talking about God, he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. But about us? As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone. And its place knows it no more. Even our lives, we think of them as being solid. I'm in the middle of life. i got a long way to go. I I, I can't imagine. Some of us can't imagine the end. Some of us can't imagine thinking about something, the D word, death. can't imagine. That's so far away. But Psalm 103 says, do you know what? Even if we live that long, this is what it's like. We're like flowers. We're here and we're gone. The wind passes over us and... Not very long later, nobody even remembers us. So temporary. And there's an awful lot in life that shields that from us all the time because it seems like things just keep on going on the way they always have. And in the midst of life, we feel like that's, that's the way it is. God himself built it into the very structure of world history and, 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 and the world. At the end of Genesis chapter 8, God says this to Noah after the judgment of the flood when everything melted into air, well, was submerged into water. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. But here's the thing. uh, God said this, as long as the earth endures. Even there, there was a hint that things will not go on exactly the way they are forever. Um, Matthew chapter 24 Matthew gives a little bit more than Mark does in his accounting of a a day when Jesus was talking to his disciples just before the crucifixion. And he was talking about a day in the future. Not a day when a particular building was taken down. Not a day when a particular temple that was so powerful and impressive was no longer, no longer existed. Not a day when a particular individual was no longer around. But a more momentous day when the Son of Man, the one Jesus called the Son of Man, which we know was actually a self-reference, just said, the day, what's it going to be like when I come back? And listen to what what Jesus said. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood... People were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. And that's how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, One will be taken and the other left. This is the way... It is. This is the way it's always been. We feel like people just keep on doing what they do. We go through our lives. How many of you have a slight routine, just a slight routine in life? You get up in the morning, you stumble into the bathroom, you take the shower, you get those clothes on, you head out the door, and you go through the day. And you come back, hopefully fulfilled, but surely tired. And eventually you fall into bed at night, and it all disappears for a little while. And then you wake up the next morning, and it just keeps going, day in, day out. Eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage, on and on. And nobody expects anything out of the ordinary to happen at all. And for that very reason, we frequently are not prepared for what God is bringing and what God is doing. I want to read a passage with you this morning. From Luke chapter 12. Uh, So if you have a Bible, you're welcome to turn there. Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse 35. We're going to put these words up on the screen. I'm going to invite you to stand as we listen to God's word this morning. Uh, Jesus says, be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready. Because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. And Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? And the Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all of his... But suppose the servant says to himself... My master is taking a long time in coming and he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he's not aware of and he will cut him into pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows, but the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment Will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who's been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who's been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. This is the word of the Lord. You, Amen. You may be seated. I bet you remember these words Ready or not, here I come. I mean, of all the games I can remember as a kid playing outside of just a, a regular kind of a sport game. Baseball or hockey or football, the one that sticks in my mind more than any other is hide and go seek. I can picture actually quite a few settings. I can picture homes. I can picture the trees in the yard and the bushes and all and the dark. You don't play that game ever in the light, do you? That's a that's a that's a game for the for the nighttime. And you remember how it begins. Everybody spreads out and goes and hides as the best of their ability. And there is someone with their eyes closed, counting down, counting down, and getting to to one, and then yelling out this Ready or not, here I come. And man, did you want to be ready? Nobody for sure wants to be the first one found. That'd be the, the, the worst thing possible. You know, when Jesus was talking to his disciples, he was talking about one of the most important realities he could possibly reference. And that was when he would come again. Christians, we today sometimes lose sight of this. And the Advent season is a great time for us to focus on something and remember something. Um, sometimes we as Christians get a sense that life goes on the way it does. And what we look forward to, we don't really look forward to dying. My favorite quote is ours, the Woody Allen quote, I'm not afraid to die, I just don't want to be there when it happens. Um uh, we're not, none of us are really looking forward to dying but our future and our hope is that when we die we go to heaven. And, and that, that's, there's a profound truth there that God promises for his people to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. But if you'd asked the early Christians what's your hope? Is your hope what happens when you die? They, they really would have scratched their heads and they really would have looked at you funny. Because that would not be what they associated with hope at all. It wasn't what they looked forward to. It wasn't what their anticipation was. It wasn't what they talked about when they got together with other Christians. And I I want you to think for a moment why I think that was. Because their hope was much more personal than that hope. And their hope wasn't just about themselves. When we think about knowing God through Jesus and we think about what happens when we die, we are thinking about me. And God's people understood from the Lord Jesus Christ that the hope God gives Christians is much bigger than what happens to me when I die. If you'd asked those early Christians, what is your hope? What are you looking forward to? What can you hardly wait for? It would have always been tied to this, that the Jesus Christ we met and that we saw in the flesh or the Jesus we heard about from people who'd seen him and been with him back when, that that Jesus is... Is going to return. And when he returns. We will see him. And when he returns. He will change things like they've never been changed before. It was unmistakable. It was their hope. Those disciples with Jesus at the time when he ascended into heaven. Acts chapter 1 tells us the story. They're standing there. Their mouths are open. They don't know what to do. They're They're just paralyzed and stuck. He'd been with them. He'd shown himself to them for 40 days following the resurrection, and suddenly he'd, he'd lifted up. He was gone. And they were standing there, and a messenger from God said to them, What are you doing standing up here, looking up? This Jesus, this same Jesus who just left you, is going to return someday for you. The Apostle Paul, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, talks about a trumpet sound. A trumpet sound that's going to come and Jesus will return and he will be visible. And we will see him in a way we have never seen him before. Jesus himself talked about that return in the story, in the, in, in the pages of the Gospels, but also in the very last book of the Bible. Behold, I am coming quickly, Jesus said. The hope of Christians has always been not just what happens to me when I die. That's, that's important and that's significant, but that's such a small thing. What our hope is, is it's a cosmic thing. It's a huge thing that when the one who created everything and when the one who came to this earth and lived with us and when the one who died and rose again for us, when he comes back, things are going to be different. Not just that, things are going to be better like they've never been before. That was their hope. Titus chapter 2 verse 13, I think uses the phrase, the blessed hope, and the glorious appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we look forward to. And that's what Jesus was talking to these guys about. He wasn't just talking about the way life doesn't really just keep going on the way we think it does. He wasn't just saying things are big and are permanent, are going to fall down or be taken down. He wasn't just saying the temple looks good today, but you should see it 40 years from now. He wasn't just saying that he was more particularly talking about this that he was going to be coming back and would they be ready because there's a very real sense in which jesus is going to say to the human race on a particular day ready or not here i come look at these words in luke chapter 12 beginning with verse 35 Jesus says, be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. You know, Jesus made a really clear point again and again that nobody knows when the Son of Man, nobody knows when Jesus will return, save God the Father alone. And you know what that means? You and I don't know. And if you ever hear a Christian teacher or just a regular Christian human being say they know when Jesus is coming back and here's the year or here's the date, you know that there's some problems with that person, okay? There's been some very prominent teachers even in the last couple of years who've said this is when he's coming back and they got it wrong and even though Jesus told them not to go there and even though they got it wrong once, they still go back and they try it again, I got fresh information. This is when he's going to come. Crazy. Jesus has told us we don't know. And that very uncertainty makes it a little challenging. Because we don't know. Um, My wife is away. She's been away for a couple of days. She's been visiting her dad, uh, checking up on him. He had a fall last month and just wanted to see how he's doing. And then she's going to be in, in the Chicago area this afternoon for a family shower. And I know that she's going to be coming home tonight. I don't have an exact time. I got a general idea. But she's got a cell phone. And she's got a charger. I'm like how I lived recently. It's great to have your cell phone. But if you don't have a charger, wow. But she's got one. She's, she's set for these things. And so I'll be in touch with her, and I will have a pretty good idea when she's going to walk in that door. And do you know what? I'm really glad for that. I'm looking forward to seeing her tonight. It will be almost four days since I saw her. But do you know what? I honestly want the kitchen and the family room and the bedroom to look just a little bit different than they do right now when she comes home. <laughs> All right? I, this evening, I will be dressed, ready for service, my lamps will be burning, and I'm gonna be ready. But you know what makes that possible? I know when she's coming. But we don't know when Jesus is coming. It's 2,000 years. In the Bible it says, a thousand years with the Lord is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. Things that take a long time in our time scale don't impress God very much. He is still coming again soon, but we don't know when. And Jesus knew that was going to be a reality and knew it would be challenging for those people. They were hungry to see him, but as the years would go by, they would forget about that hope. And they would start thinking about other things. They would look at buildings and and say, those are big and strong and they're never going to fall down, permanent. And they would become like all those people in Noah's time, day in and day out. Marrying and giving in marriage, eating and drinking, day after day, it's just the same old, same old. And there's an old phrase, when the cat's away, the mice will play. And sometimes, when someone significant isn't around, and we know they're going to come back eventually, but we have no particular sense that they are going to come back very soon. We play, we drop things, and we forget about them. And that is exactly what Jesus warns us about. Because the issues are so huge. Here's the thing. Sometimes we think this is how you get ready. This is what we say. We get ready for when we die by saying yes to Jesus and accepting him as our Lord and our Savior. And in a lot of ways, that's a really significant thing. That's that's huge. Jesus said in John chapter 3, you can't even see the kingdom of God, let alone get into it, if you're not born again or born from above. Very significant. But if you ask Jesus on this occasion, how do you get ready for when I'm going to come? He doesn't say, well, you you pray a prayer to receive me and then it's all good. This is what he says Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. (laughs) It's easy in our day and age. I don't have to worry about lamps too much. I can throw a switch. You too? And when I throw a switch or turn something, the light comes on. But it wasn't that way in those times. They had to make sure there was oil in the lamp to keep it burning, burning, burning. And they had to keep that lamp lit so they could get around and see because it was dark. There was no other light around. And to be dressed and ready for service. Um, back in that day, they often wore really long things, um, like robes. And, and they were fine if you were just walking around there was no difficulty at all. But if you're trying to work, or you were trying to move fast, or God forbid, you were trying to run somewhere, that was very problematic. I'm a pastor. I do weddings. Wedding wedding, uh, bridal dresses always make me nervous. I've never seen it. It always looks to me like, oh man, I get nervous when the bride's walking up the stairs and walking down the stairs. I just think that's so much to trip on. Man, all right. But, but that was fun, the way, they, the, the way they were dressed. And so when they worked and when they walked quickly and when they had to get somewhere with purpose, they would pull that up. It was kind of like a belt they had. And they would tuck it in so that their legs would be free and move around quickly. And that's what it means when it says, be dressed, ready for service. What might we say? got your shoes on, you got your sleeves rolled up, and you're ready for action. And that's what Jesus is saying. I want you awake and I want you aware and I want you looking for me. And it sounds almost impossible because we don't know when he's coming. And I first heard about Jesus when I was about seven days old. And I've heard about him for a long time. But Jesus' word for me is, Craig, I want you ready for me anytime, all the time. Look at it again. Be dressed, ready for service, keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. When you and I go to a wedding, particularly if it's close by, we're probably going to be gone some hours. Man, we might be gone a bunch of hours. It's a three o'clock wedding, a two o'clock wedding. There's a reception. There's a little time in between. Man, we might be gone from 1.30 in the afternoon till 10.45 at night. If we're in the wedding, it's going to be a longer day. If the wedding's in Detroit, it's going to be longer. But we'll probably drive back home. But if it's in Chicago or in Indianapolis, we'll probably be gone overnight. But it doesn't go on forever. But back in the day, in Hebrew weddings, their celebrations could go on for multiple days. And when a master had some people, he had his property and his home, and he had servants who were working for him, keeping things running and together, and he went off to attend a wedding. Well, was he going to be there one day or two days or three days or four days in the celebration? They really didn't know. So the challenge was to be ready all the time. Verse 37, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. Have you ever been in a place, arrived at some place where it looked like they were waiting for you? Now you went to a friend's house, it was going to be a nice meal, and of course they were waiting for you, they are expecting you, there was an arrival time. Have you ever gone to stay at a really nice hotel, like a really nice one, um, where the door opens and you're welcomed as if they've been looking for you the whole time? Gosh, so the last time I was at Disney World, this guy was dressed really strange in that New Orleans area where people stay. What's that called? Anybody know? Port Orleans. Does that, sound, does that ring a bell with Anybody? No, oh, you're leaving me. You're leaving me. Hang And I see hands. Okay, thank you. All right. <laughs> to create it, the guy standing at the door, all in the getup. I don't think I could have that job. I'm not sure I could dress like that. But there he was, welcoming, like like someone's waiting for me, getting ready for me. And when the master comes home, and his servants aren't just dressed and ready for action, they don't just have the lamps burning but they're looking for him. And the moment he knocks at the door, the door swings open. Master, it's so good to see you. And what the master does is he promptly girds himself for action, girds up his loins, pulls that robe up, tucks it in, and gets to work. He says, I want you guys to sit down right now. Thank you for being ready for me. Thank you for wanting me to return. Thank you for welcoming me when I came in. Now, I want you to be seated. And do you know what? I'm going to serve you tonight. That was just about the most shocking thing that could ever have been imagined because masters do not do that with servants. Except if you're the God of the universe that we meet in Jesus. He's the kind of God who waits on us. But the call for us is to be looking and waiting for him. Three words I want you to remember. Waiting, watching, and working. Can you remember those? Waiting, watching, and working. Those are words that Jesus uses in a number of different places and they help us understand what it means to have an Advent attitude and an Advent anticipation and an Advent um, life where we are not just living day by day, same old, same old, same old, same old, same old. We're thankful for our routines, but nonetheless, it's just going on and on, cycling. But we're actually looking forward to something that's going to be different. And it's going to be mind-boggling. And it's going to change things. And it's going to make things better if we're ready than they've ever been before. And Jesus says, I want you to be waiting. I want you to be aware of what's coming. I don't want you just to assume that things are permanent and are going to last forever and go on just the way they are right now. I don't want you just waiting, though. I want you watching. You know what it's like to be at home? Waiting for someone and to watch for them? Any of you ever go to the front door, to the window, to look out? Any Anybody ever done that in your life? Anybody ever done that so many times you can't count? You're, when, we, when we're expecting someone to come, we're looking forward to them. Now we might call them. We're waiting for a call. But we're always looking we might even walk down the, uh, out to the end of the driveway and look down the street like it makes any difference. I mean, they only have 100 feet to drive. Why are we even doing that? But we are not just waiting, we're watching. It's an anticipation and a hunger and a thirst. But Jesus said this, I want you to occupy until I come. I want you to work. Advent people are not people who sit on their butts waiting for Jesus to return. Advent people are not like those disciples when Jesus ascended who stand there forever just staring, stuck. The people are the people who heard what the angel said. This same Jesus is going to come back. And you know what was implied in what that angel said? Don't stand here. Don't look up in the sky. Jesus told you some things to do. Now go and get busy. He has you here for a reason, right now. Remember what Mark Severson asked us two weeks ago? You still alive? You still awake? You still around? I think that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Are you still here? Then wait and watch and work. But by all means, be ready. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow before you this morning, and we ask that you help us be people who stay awake. It's so easy to get uh, lulled into thinking that nothing will ever change, that things are going to go on just the way they are right now, and sometimes that's perfectly fine with us. If things are pretty good, we don't mind things going on the way they are right now. But that's not how life works, and it's not how your plan works. And you've made a promise to us that is our hope. It's way bigger than any of the many hopes we have. It's way bigger even than our hope of what happens to us when we die. It is that Jesus Christ, who's been here before, is going to come again, and he's going to come again for us, and he's going to finish what he began, and he's going to make it all right, and we will be like him, and we will be with him, and we will be together with him. So Lord... Grow our hunger and grow our thirst. Grow our desire to see him and to talk with him and to touch him and to be with him in a way we never have before. And grow us in our desire to see what he's going to do with this old world of ours. Grow in us the blessed hope. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.